0: Thank you, Steve, for that time of worship and song together. And good morning, Wellspring family and friends. Uh, As we get going into this January, um, I know this is an unusual time. There's so many of you that are um, under a lot of stress. We know there's a lot of sickness, too, going around and just uh, want to offer an invitation to be in touch with us. Uh, for me personally, I've been dragging a little bit into the new year. Um, I found this polar bear gif slash gif the other day online, and Karen will, will show it for us on the screen in just a second um, as soon as she gets that up. And I felt very much like this polar bear. Let's see if we can find it. Okay, so when you see a polar bear go across the screen, you'll know that's the way I feel. We don't see it yet. Um, maybe for some of you, things are going really well, um, and that's great, too. Oh, there's the polar bear. <laughs> that's how I feel going into this, this new year, slowly pushing myself along. <laughs> Does anyone else here in Europe feel like that? Just like <laughs> yes. Um, some of you might have lots of energy. be feeling really great this year, and if, if there's any wins in your life, we can celebrate with you. We would like to do that um, really quickly. Just want to share a small win for Pastor Cheryl um, and myself. Uh, we're really glad that uh, this past week we found out that she can attend her seminary class through Ignite, through our denomination, and we can attend our annual meeting online this year. We just found it out today, so in two weeks, instead of uh, me and Pastor Emiko and Pastor Cheryl all having to be in Chicago in very cold weather with a thousand attendees at a hotel, <laughs> Ooh. instead we can be here uh, here on island uh, logging on online. So it's just a small win, but I'm thankful for, for that. Now, last week, Pastor Cheryl kicked off our new worship series on Mending Life, and we're going to be going through the teachings of Jesus, um, sometimes called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's what we call this sort of collection of Jesus' Jesus teachings, and it's in the book of Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and we're going to be going through these over the next maybe eight or so weeks. And as we do this, we're, we're just praying that we're going to be letting Jesus show us through his teaching, stitch by stitch, step by step what the mending work God wants to do in us and in our world is all about. We have some good content today, so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, The sermon notes are available online, um, as well as uh, Pastor Dan will be putting in the 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 fill-in-the-blanks from your notes um, in the chat section when we get to that. So today we are going to be in the book of Matthew. We're starting out at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. You can follow along with me um, either in your notes or in a Bible or on the screen right here in front of you if you are watching. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be. Now, so, roughly three years ago, um, when our family moved back home, back here to Hawaii, uh, from and to you all here at Wellspring, uh, when we moved from Pasadena, we, we booked our move with the same Hawaii-based moving company we had used to get out there uh, to California for, for seminary. And we had a really great experience with this moving company, you know, moving out from Hawaii, so we decided we'd try them again. And when we called them, they let us know that they'd be subcontracting for that area of Pasadena where we lived. Um, but that was okay with us. So we said, sure. We, we booked our moving date. We waited for it to arrive. And while we were waiting, we were busy, you know, sorting, selling, and donating items. And finally, move date came. Uh, couldn't wait for the packers to be there. Everything's ready for them to pack. And our agreed upon time came and then went. And uh, the moving guys didn't show up. The moving people didn't show up, and hours and hours later, they finally came, and they came, and they were shorthanded. There were only two of them to pack up our entire house and pack it into their truck, and then they didn't have any, like, work lights. So at 10 o'clock at night, Dan and I felt so bad for them. We were, like, trying to pack two, and we're just, like, shoving things in the truck in the dark. It was kind of a disaster, but we got here. I'm sure you can imagine what it was like on the unpacking side of that, right? When all these items sort of packed in chaos arrived from the boat and they are brought to our house. And we weren't sure what was in which box. And there were more than a few moments when we'd be, we'd be like unpacking items and we'd be really surprised by something that shouldn't have been in that box. Like the kitchen scissors somehow wound up with boxes of games. We're like, oh, I'm glad no one sliced their finger on this when they took, you know, Monopoly out. Or we'd be like unfolding clothes and then framed art would like drop out. Like, I didn't know that was there. Oh, glad that didn't crack. (laughs) I think there's a, a kind of box that each one of us have too that has things in it, some things in it that are supposed to be there, as well as some things in it that don't quite belong. Now, it's not a moving box. In fact, this box that each one of us have is not a literal box at all. But instead, it's a way of thinking about how we think about God. We can call it a God box. You think about as a child, as a young adult, as a teen, as you learn and grow, each one of us formulate ideas about God. And as we do so, we build a sort of virtual God box in our minds. I think I have a picture of a box. And as we grow, you, uh, you can kind of picture, we fill it with our ideas and our experiences about God. Ideas we get from friends or family or from our own experience, maybe from reading scripture from the culture around us. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family or a religious family. You still have a God box, too, um, because you accumulated ideas and beliefs about God. Even if you didn't believe in a God growing up, that's still an idea to put in your God box. There isn't a God. See? So we all have one. It's filled with all the ideas and thoughts we have about God. And, um... For those of you that went to Sunday school, maybe like me, you might have grown up in church, you might fill your God box with maybe different stories of Jesus. Or you might hear God is love or sing Jesus Loves Me and you might put that in your God box. You might have heard other messages too. Messages about gender roles or purity culture or works-based faith. and Maybe you put those in your God box too. Chances are in your God box, like mine, there's some good and true things in it and also some things that don't fit, that, that shouldn't be there. Things that can gradually work to cause harm or pain and sort of twist you away from actually who God is and how God works. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky because unfortunately, sifting through your God box can be hard or difficult because it's not always allowed. All right? Some streams of the Christian faith believe your God box must be airtight lest you start on a slippery slope of losing your faith. That means you can't take off the lid. You put things in your box, you learn how to defend your faith, you build it like a brick wall, you keep it airtight, keep the lid on it. I think I I grew up in a community a little like that, and some of you may have as well. I remember hearing cautionary tales about uh, kids who'd go to college and then toss their whole God box out. When it became clear, there were things in it that needed to go. And now I'm realizing that that's not necessary. You don't have to toss the whole box out because God can't fit in a box anyway. But instead, we can give ourselves the freedom and the permission, which is a very healthy thing, to go through the God box, to sift through it, to let your faith be something living and growing and active rather than airtight. Since God can't fit in a box, if we put the lid on it, we're probably keeping God out. Our faith can't grow. We've made an idol, or even worse, a monster. I think there's a whole generation of people right now who grew up in the church or spent many years in it who are starting to sort through their God box. Some people toss the whole thing out because they didn't realize you could open it up. And I think what's the call for us is to invite people to be like, no, bring the God box back. What's in it? Can we sift through it with you? And what's in mine? What is like Jesus in God? That I need to keep. What isn't? What has been a result of flawed interpretation of scripture? What has been harmful? What has been a result of culture seeping in like patriarchy or dead religion or sinful human traditions? What's bringing life that's in this box? I want to keep. What's bringing death? This can be a healthy and amending process, friend. Because when we go through this process, and these people call it deconstruction, we are allowing God's real life. God's true and mending life to begin to breathe on us. We can begin to mend from the hurtful things we've believed about God and others have taught us to believe. So Wellspring friends and family, as we go through this, this worship series on Mending Life, my prayer is that we can have an open heart to God's work through the Holy Spirit in us as we sift through what needs to leave the God box, what doesn't fit in there, what wasn't supposed to be packed in there, what we can take out as harmful or not true, and what we need to put in as we grow in learning more of God's character and more of God's ways. And as we keep the lid off of it, allowing God's free and open action to be at work. Now, um, as we look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, here in the section on Beatitudes, immediately uh, Jesus was putting a teaching out there that immediately confronted some of the assumptions people had in their God box about who God was and how God works. Because people in Jesus' day, just like in ours, they had God boxes too with some right ideas and some wrong ideas about God in them. Now, in Jesus' day, much like ours, actually, a lot of people believed that God would act in a way that sort of made sense to them in the world and that God would work by blessing people who are good and by cursing people who are not good. It's a sort of simple logic. So if someone was healthy and powerful, respected, educated, maybe rich, they'd say, you are favored by God because there's a blessing there. There's something good there, right? So you're favored by God. If your life looked bad, Right. If you are poor, if things were difficult for you, if you had a sickness or an illness, it must be that God was punishing you for it. I mean, do you remember that story in the Gospels about the man with disabilities and um, religious people asked Jesus, like, who sins, like him or his parents? Right. They had this idea that he was sick because of sin. So this sort of ties into this idea that people had in their God box of how God worked. And so Jesus' teaching here at the very beginning of his sermon here on the Mount, it sort of blows the lid off their God box in ours as Jesus' teaching about blessing comes to mend them, moves to mend them, and moves to mend us from the preconceived notions we can have about who God is and how God works. Now, if we were just going to take a step back and look at our own God boxes that we have, um, and we wonder, like, how do some things in there get in there? And some of the preconceived ideas we have about how God works do come from the smog of our culture. And this, the smog we live in, it's sort of perpetuated by shallow Christianity. It can be perpetuated by um, just sort of a simplistic uh, looking, uh, looking at life. And the smog around us tells us that you are hashtag blessed if your life looks good or if things are working out for you. That's that's sort of the way that the culture around us views the word blessed. So actually Google the hashtag blessed um, and the moments that popped up, I think Karen will show them for you on the slide. Um, Apparently this is the algorithm, Google algorithm gave this to me. The first one, you might not be able to read it, but it's a wealth management professional who's trying to encourage those sort of suffering the ups and downs of that market and says, remember, lots of people have it worse than we do. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) there was somebody happy in a new relationship they're like ah i met that special someone things are so good blessed hashtag um, there's a post from a retired baseball player i'm like how did you get on there i don't follow sports um, this algorithm is not working for me clearly my children have been on my computer a retired baseball player just celebrating it there with family at disneyland i'm so glad to be here with my grandchildren hashtag blessed now, I think these are very typical understandings. Thank you for showing those, Karen. These are very typical understandings of the word blessed and of the idea of how God works. And none of those things are wrong. They're, they're wonderful. I'm glad they happen. But that's not necessarily the kind of blessing we see Jesus pronouncing in this text. But before we get there, I want to do a quick exercise. I want you to think for a moment uh, of a good day you had. A day you had Good news. Um, Maybe it was you got a paper back and you did really good on your paper. Or maybe there was no traffic and you're late to work and you're so glad because you weren't late. (laughs) Or maybe you got your COVID test back and it was negative. Maybe you had a great conversation with a roommate or spouse or loved one. You got to see your grandkids. Think of a great day. That's a gift, right? It's easy to think of those as hashtag blessed moments. In this passage, Jesus is standing with a whole different group of people. People who are not celebrating their wealth gains or Disneyland trips or a new relationship. It's not those who avoided that scary health diagnosis or those who finally conceived after wanting a baby for a long time. It's not those who just picked up the keys to their dream house or their new car who are blessed. Well, all those things are wonderful, and we're happy to rejoice with those who rejoice. The people Jesus pronounces blessed and describes the kingdom of heaven as belonging to are those you think God forgot about. It's those you think God forgot about. Pastor and author Sky Jathani wrote this little book, What If Jesus Was Serious? I don't know if you can see it on the screen. And he went through the, the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, and he came up with 70 little nuggets. And each one of the nuggets he wrote a little illustration for. I'm just going to flip through just so you can see there's a whole bunch. I'm not going to show you what they are yet because we're going to use some of these in this worship series. This is a really great little book if you want to buy one for a high school in your life. Or let us know if you have a high school in your life. We'd love to get this for them. Or a middle schooler. It's a really easy read to go through it but it's a really great way of looking at the teachings of Jesus and he has this one picture that I want to show right here um, as, as we're talking about who Jesus is blessing. So here he sort of uh, in tongue-in-cheek calls this the bell curve of God's blessing. I'm not sure if you can see it but there's this this line on the bottom of all these, these people who we think of as blessed. There's the people who are very blessed. Things are going great in their life. And there's people who are blessed you know It's okay, and then people who are sorta blessed, and then there's people who are not blessed. Where Jesus is standing, as Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is standing with those that we would consider forgotten, those we would consider not blessed. As Scott McKnight puts it, Jesus blesses those whom no one else blessed. And this tells us, number one in your notes, it tells us that Jesus teaches us that number one in your notes, no one is beyond the scope of God's blessing. This teaches us that no one is beyond the scope of God's blessing. If you have your Bible and you're looking at it, and later this week, I hope that you read the section of the Beatitudes. All these people who are declared blessed by Jesus, no, it's the it's the poor in spirit that are that are initially named the poor in spirit. And um, just in case those of you who like to read, you know, different, um, the different gospels, you'll notice that Luke's version of the same message doesn't say poor in spirit, it just says poor. So that means we don't get a pick and choose between the poor and the poor in spirit. <laughs> Jesus is declaring both groups as blessed here. So the poor and the poor in spirit, they're blessed with the power of the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to them. It's those who mourn. Those who cry, those who lament, who are blessed with comfort, right? Our world says happy ones are blessed because you don't need to be comforted. It's the meek, the gentle, those who choose not to take power by force or anger, fear or manipulation. Those are the ones that will inherit the land, right? The smog of our culture around us says those who are the angriest, those who grab power and don't let people run over them. They will get what they want, It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And remember, that word is the word justice. It's the same word. Those who hunger and thirst for justice, for God's right, wise-making ways to be enacted on our earth. Those are the ones who are declared blessed by Jesus. You know the ones who want justice the most in the world around us? They're the people who aren't getting it. These are the people Jesus is figuratively standing in front of and saying, You are blessed. It's the merciful. The ones who could demand retribution, but don't. They are the ones who receive mercy. They are blessed. The pure in heart, or better translated, the undivided in heart. The undivided in heart will receive, will see God. So those who have an undivided will towards God will be rewarded with what their will seeks peacemakers not peacekeepers peacemakers those who are actively working against the flow of violence and injustice and division for god's rightly ordered ways of justice and righteousness they are blessed it's the persecuted the persecuted in the the cause of right as my revised english bible puts it the kingdom of the heavens belongs to them all these people we thought god forgot about it turns out they are the ones that jesus is speaking in the long line of prophetic utterances Jesus is declaring them blessed. These people, they are not the winners of the world. Some might call them the losers of the world. But these are the ones Jesus speaks God's reality over them. When Jesus pronounced them as blessed, it's not like a one-time blessing that happened in the past. Like, yeah, they're blessed once and that's it. But rather the word in the Greek there is used to denote an ongoing state of being. When Jesus declares them blessed, he's also not giving us a religious to-do list, like, you need to do all this so you can be blessed. Rather, Jesus is simply describing the fortunate people who possess the power of the blessings of the kingdom. Jesus is saying these people when they inherit the kingdom, with its infinite pleasures, forever and ever. And as Jesus blesses these people, a number of things happen to our God box. One of them is Jesus sort of obliterates one of the wicked tendencies I know, I have, I know, many of us do, which is to judge others based on their situation in life or on their circumstances. In blessing, these people were forced to realize no one's outside the scope of God's blessing, and that blows the lid off some of our God boxes. As Jesus highlights those who don't have it all together, the ones who don't have it easy, the ones who can often make our life uncomfortable, as Jesus highlights the pot stirrers, the ones who reveal the values and priorities of the kingdom of the heavens the kingdom of the heavens is theirs this brings us to number two in your notes jesus teaches that heaven is already here jesus teaches us heaven is already here now let me explain this you see in jesus day and often in our day we can have this idea in our god box that heaven is a far far away place that's where God is. And one day after we die, we'll go there and be with God. Now, if we were to take the teachings of Jesus seriously, we won't just or only see heaven as a place or state of being. We go with God when we die. You see, in in our word English, the, the English word heaven, I think I have this to show for you on the screen, the word heaven carries all sorts of supernatural and spiritual meanings. Um, but the actual Greek word, yoranos. Um, used by Jesus. It's a plural word. So it literally means heavens. And it's more like a word how we would use to describe skies. So the air, the atmosphere all around us that you and I are breathing in and out. It's very close, very present to us. Right now I have it in my lungs. And Jesus is using this word to describe the, the Jesus is using this word, heavens, uranos, to speak of the the non-physical, the invisible, but the present realm, where God dwells. So he's using the same word for both. He uses the same word for this air around us, and he's using the same word to describe the kingdom of heavens, the kingdom of God, where God dwells. And he's putting these two sort of ideas that we have very separated out, he's putting them together. And this reminds us that heaven is not some place we'll just go to one day when we die, but that the kingdom of the heavens is present around us, closer than we think, active and growing right here and right now. So you can kind of think of it as um, the way I think of it uh, at this point in time is sort of like a bridge. The kingdom of heavens is sort of like stretches through space and time to maybe what we call heaven, right? The reality where God's will is always done and to pockets in our reality here where God's will is being done. So I sort of see it as this connecting point. And the book of Revelation lets us know that one day there will no longer be a divide between these two realms. One day, uh, One day that heaven is going to come to earth and these two realms, these two kingdoms will become one as the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and sort of everything related in this world become one because God's kingdom covers both of them and as heavens uh, come to earth, heaven comes to earth. So um, we can be saying that heaven is present to us right now. Heaven is present to us through the kingdom of the heavens. If we say that, I think it's also safe to assume but hell is also present here, too. We don't have to look very hard to find it. For the last year, I've been following the military takeover in Myanmar. Um, and the, the junta faces widespread opposition to its rule. Like People remember how bad it was back in the day when the military ruled everything. So there's this huge peaceful protest movement. Um, and the army has responded to with violence and brutal crackdowns and full-scale murder. There's this whole... This whole um, group of people killed on Christmas Eve, including children. I found out this last week that um, one of the Christian workers uh, that my parents trained a young pastor was killed this past week. Um, we have no way of getting any resources to, to his young wife or child. It, it feels like hell right now. Just people that are trying to flee the area as refugees, and over 650 houses and properties, including churches, have all been burned. Friends, if we have this idea in our God box that heaven is just a place far off we'll go to when we die, what do we do when we hear news like this? What do we do when we hear news closer to home of things gone wrong that should not be? What do we do when we hear of news of just uh, not too far from us here in Halava, of, of people being gaslit by those who should be caring for the gas storage tanks who said no you're fine there's nothing wrong and then only when it was forced to come out did they tell the truth this is not god's kingdom of justice and peace what do you do when you find places in your own heart that are revealed where god's will is not being done for you whether it's a secret sin a hidden addiction that god is inviting you to bring into the light what do we do if we think heaven is some far off place i think we can develop an escapist mentality and say you know what Things are bad here right now. They're bad all around. I don't really want to hear about it because it's depressing and overwhelming. But you know what? I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die. woo <laughs> I know. I've been tempted to think that way before. Man, it's too overwhelming. Thank God there is heaven. <laughs> and that's true. How wonderful there is heaven. And yet Jesus saying here challenges us and pushes us to say, how does God's kingdom want to be known now, here? In this world through me even through my actions right if God invites us to lean into the suffering around us here is Jesus stands in front of these people who no one would consider blessed and pronounces them blessed by God if Jesus stands in front of them Jesus is inviting us to lean into the suffering of the world and later on in the, in the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Jesus invites us to pray to God, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven's final destination is earth. and the kingdom of heaven, you are invited to participate in every day is bridging the gap between the two. We do have a suspicious feeling that if we could zoom in further into what is happening in Myanmar and in all the other places that look, a little hellish on earth. We might see pockets of the kingdom, places where there is mercy shown, where neighbor is protecting neighbor, places where there is peacemaking. We might see the poor in spirit and the poor pouring themselves out to God who sees them and says, my kingdom belongs to you. We might say Christians being persecuted and yet refusing to hate their neighbors who are so mistreating them. This world might be a hellish place, friends, but it's a heavenish place too. Can we lean in, put our feet where the poor, the poor in spirit are, where the persecuted are, and mend our preconceived ideas of who God is and how God works? Jesus has come to mend all the ways that separate our life now from our life to come. Through Jesus, a new way is possible. Some things for us to think about as we examine what's in our God box. Moving to number three in your notes, Jesus teaches that we can't separate our relationship from God from our relationship with others. Jesus teaches us we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with others. One of the things we'll see over the next couple of months as we move through the Sermon on the Mount is the inseparable link between our relationship with God and our relationships with everything and everyone else. You see, Jesus beginning here in the Beatitudes and moving through the next chapters, he emphasizes again and again how the way we treat others will determine how our Heavenly Father will treat us. If that sounds kind of uncomfortable now, please know it was uncomfortable then too. So it's always been uncomfortable. Yay! I mean, think about verse 7 in today's text. Blessed are those who show mercy. Mercy will be shown to them. Um. One of the commentaries I read about this week noted that the way this is phrased in the Greek, it's it's passive indicative. And this is a common way in the Jewish tradition that uh, writers would highlight and bring attention to the to the quiet yet sure work of God. So this passive indicative is a way of saying God's going to do it. <laughs> so blessed are those who show mercy; and mercy will be shown to them. God's going to do it. And this idea too, uh, we see later on, right in the in the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus makes it clear that God's forgiveness comes with a condition. We must forgive others. There's this idea that we can't separate our relationship with God from our relationship with others. How we show mercy, how we forgive, how we are in the world. I think sometimes we have this individualistic way of being a Christian that has gone in our God, in our God box. This idea that if I just lean into God and I um, I journal, I pray and read the Bible, I am going to be so good with God. And wonderful! That's the vertical relationship. Please do read your Bible, pray, spend time with God, do some journaling. That's wonderful. You need a vibrant inner life with God. And yet we can't just have a vibrant inner life with God because the way we treat others is inseparable, Jesus teaches us, inseparable from our life with God. I think we have a, a little graphic from the What If Jesus Was Serious book. And so there's this, you see this, uh, this horizontal and the vertical line. And the horizontal line is is us. It's our relationship with our allies, with our enemies, people we like, people we don't really like, people who annoy us, people who we love. Right? That's all the horizontal relationship. And then there's a vertical relationship with us and God. And this idea the Christian vision of love is saying we can't separate these two. The way we treat those in this horizontal way is going to determine some of the vertical, how God treats us. So... One of the things in our God box we might need to explore is how can we keep the vertical and the horizontal connection with God from being separated from each other? I think different streams of the faith, uh, you know, um, emphasize different ones, right? There's some streams of the faith that only emphasize the horizontal. They're like, you know, we need to be advocating for good and working for the kingdom, and we need to be careful how we treat our neighbors. We need to lean into, you know, the justice work of God. That's great. That's horizontal, right? And we have other people who say, you need to be praying and reading the Bible. You need to go to Bible study. You need to be listening to the word. That's great. That's the vertical relationship. The the tricky thing is, and where the rubber meets the road, is that both are needed for us to have a vibrant, mending life with God and others. We can't separate the two. Friends, Jesus has come to mend our world. He inaugurated the kingdom of the heavens right here with us standing in the prophetic tradition he declared people blessed no one else would consider blessed showing us that no one is beyond god's ability to bless god's blessing has the power to do what it says and god has all of time to prove it to us jesus has come to mend our world and invites us to see heaven among us now through the kingdom of the heavens invites us to live into the way and will of God for our world now, even as we hope one day for heaven that will finally fill all creation. Jesus has come to mend our world and he challenges us to let our one-on-one vertical relationships with God seep into every aspect of our life, impacting every relationship, every interaction, including those with our own soul, those with others, and those with the other kingdoms around us. Some of this teaching might be hard to swallow, Right? The needle of God's mending work might sometimes feel more like a prickle than a tickle. As I close, if you've been listening so far and, you know, you're open to having your, some of your preconceived ideas about God or values of the kingdom, who God blesses. You're, you're open to having what's in your God box be opened and examined and mended. That's wonderful. There's ways of doing it we can lean into together. Talk to one of the pastors, we love to have conversations with friends who are going through deconstruction and reconstruction and leaning into um, really who God is and letting go of some of the things that, that were hurtful or harmful and not not God's way that they thought they had to put in their God box. Perhaps there's some inner resistance in you, and you're like, my box is fine. I haven't opened the lid of it in a while because it's all good to go. <laughs> I got it all right. I put it in there. I closed the lid. I don't really want to deal with it. I don't have time or energy right that right now. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, maybe a good exercise this week would just be to uh, read through our text for today. Just read through these Beatitudes of who Jesus describes blessed um, as blessed and ask yourself, Holy Spirit, what do you want to show me? Is there anything you want me to loosen my grip off? Anything I need to receive? You can invite the Holy Spirit. Work to give you insight. I invite you to ask God to help wherever you are, whether you're really resistant to the idea of God coming in to mend your God box, moving your preconceived ideas around, or whether uh, you know you don't feel like it today. Invite the Holy Spirit in to wherever you are right now. Before I pray, I just want to acknowledge, as Pastor Yumiko did earlier, that this weekend our country is celebrating the life of a pastor. A deeply good and also flawed man, but he deeply hungered and thirsted for justice. He dared have a dream that somehow the presence of heaven was here and that we could participate in the kingdom of heavens now and that maybe our relationship with God couldn't be separated from our relationship with each other. Even though some people said God didn't care about that kind of work, uh, he he had a dream for how we could participate in God's righteous justice. And he did the hard, slow, and pots during work of peacemaking and nonviolently protesting, showing mercy in their nonviolence to those who were violent towards them. Friends, we have heroes and sheroes who have gone before us, who show us a little bit of what it looks like to let go of the lid of our God box. To let some assumptions leave that need to leave let God's new life in as we learn more about who God is, how God works, and as we work to align ourselves stitch by stitch, step by step with God's mending work in us and in the world. So let's let's pray, friends. As we get ready to close in prayer, um, I just want to acknowledge that we looked at a number of blessings today, but the best blessing of all is knowing Jesus. The best gift of the kingdom is the one who brings it to life, the one who is its king and who is kin with us, Jesus. Lord, I'm reminded of that that story a little bit later on in the book of Matthew where Peter has this sort of eureka moment and he realizes who you are, that you are the Messiah, you are God's anointed one. And Jesus, you turn to him and you say, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What a wonderful blessing for us to be able to recognize you, to see you for who you are, and to be growing with you. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we will be able to see you for who you are, that we will recognize your work in our lives. And right now, if you're listening, um... If you're listening online or to a recording of this or even here right now in this Zoom room and you realize, I don't know if I've ever had that moment with Jesus. I don't know if I've ever really realized who Jesus is. or um, I don't know if I have the blessing of knowing the, the king of this kingdom who is kin, who is my brother. I don't know if I've ever done that. I invite you to pray a very simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I give you consent to go through every room of the house of my soul, give you consent to come in. I ask that you forgive me for all the ways that I've fallen short. And I ask that you fill me with your spirit, fill me with your love, and lead me the next step closer to you. If you know someone who prayed this prayer, please let us know so we can come along and encourage them. And my prayer continues to be for all of us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you will be mended by God where you need to be mended. God will work with you on what's inside your God box. (laughs) And that you'll be filled with the fullness that is God.